Welcome to the White Spring Bunker. These halls were built to safeguard some of the most prestigious members of the United States government. We are MODIS, and we are always looking for men and women capable of helping us restore what has been lost. In return, we offer this, a new enclave and our refuge from the world above. Please, take your time and look around. The Colonel has made great strides restoring this place to its former glory. Welcome, member, to our little enclave. Greetings, members. As always, I am the Operative, your designated tour guide and host here at the White Spring. The Colonel has put her plan in motion to eliminate the Blood Eagles as a threat to the new enclave. Major Lilith has been unleashed, and she will make Appalachia howl. Deep in the ash heap, what will later be known as the Blood Eagle War, begins. It really doesn't feel like I'm getting paid enough for this. Better scan the Blood Eagle camp for what felt like the thousandth time. After traveling down from the Savage Divide a few days before, Freya had him recon the area as soon as they arrived. Both he and Sullivan had taken shifts working their way around the old Rollins work camp, noting defensive emplacements, Blood Eagle patrol routes, and aiming local opposition. The day before, Sullivan had brought in a wounded Blood Eagle he jumped for more intel. The look in Freya's eyes was enough to chill the soul when she saw the prisoner. And if that was bad, the look in Malgus's eyes was far, far worse. Bitter made a point of leaving for his shift before the game started. When he got back, he found Sullivan outside their camp smoking a cigarette. He looked a little green and his left hand was shaking. When pressed, he didn't say much, other than that they got the information they needed. They didn't need to worry about the prisoner anymore. Bitter walked in to find Freya deep in conversation with Malgus. Their voices were hushed and he couldn't hear what they said. But when they saw him, Malgus sat back in his chair and started whittling on a new bone, while Freya was once again their creepily cheery self. Got what we needed. Freya did a little dance around the makeshift room. So what's the plan, boss? This Beckett guy used to be some kind of bigwig with the Blood Eagles. But he got a heart or something and decided to ditch them. Sucks to be him. I guess... Because the Blood Eagles didn't like that too much and went after him. Got him too. That's why they've been broadcasting that message. They're throwing a party and... Hmm, we weren't invited. The look boss gave Bitter chilled him to the core. So we're going to crash that party, grab Beckett, and blow a bunch of stuff up. Doesn't that sound exciting? Uh, sure thing, boss. But, uh... We do have a real plan as well, right? <laughs> of course, silly. We got the whole layout. It'll be easy peasy. But I'm hungry. Eat first, plan later. Bitter didn't bother to ask about the prisoner, as he never liked the answers he got. The boss disappeared to wherever it was she hit her, snacks, and Malgus went back to whittling on his bone. When the boss laid out the full plan later that night, he had to admit that it was elegant in its design. If everything worked the way she described, the Blood Eagles wouldn't know what hit them, and they'd be in and out in no time flat. The boss also said she'd been preparing a bit of a parting gift for the Blood Eagles as well. On the table had been a pile of fusion cores and plasma grenades, 
along with a bunch of miscellaneous circuitry and wiring. That's enough explosives to level a small city, ain't it? I certainly hope so. In the morning, Bitter sat down with Sullivan as they both cleaned their weapons. Bitter had a matching set of lever-action rifles he used to great effect as a sniper. Well, I didn't mind getting up close and personal. Being able to kill something long before it became an actual threat was always appreciated. Sullivan was the close combat specialist. He mainly relied on stealth and his pistols for the wet work. Bitter had seen him in action and respected the man's skills. In real close-up action, he preferred a serrated machete and kept the edge razor sharp. As they had made their way to the ash heap from the mire, the boss had hit bloody eagle outposts along the way. She said it was to gather intelligence, but Bitter figured she disliked killing. And, well, what she did with the blood eagles after. Despite their unorthodox methods, the team worked well together. More than a few times, Bitter had covered Sullivan's approach to their target, taking down sentries and turrets, then watching Sullivan let loose with his pistols, mopping up the opposition. They also cheated like hell at cards and enjoyed trying to one-up each other during their nightly poker games. Malgus had been off in his corner again. The brute of a man rarely spoke, and even more rarely left his power armor. Turns out the guy was nearly crippled and rewired his armor to compensate. Outside of it, he couldn't even walk two feet, but in it? Oh my word, Bitter had seen him tear raiders in half while laughing maniacally the entire time. And the boss? They all called her Freya, but Bitter knew that wasn't her name. He suspected who she really was, someone who, in ordinary circumstances, he'd rather not be within a hundred miles of. <sighs> Dear old dad used to say, better to be the right hand of the devil than in his crosshairs. Freya was a monster, pure and simple. Underneath that exterior lived something that scared the crap out of him, and when this was all over, he planned on finding some quiet corner of the world and forgetting all about Appalachia. So Bitter was now positioned in a sniper's nest, above the work camp with a clear line of sight across the compound. Sullivan was working his way down towards the perimeter on the west side, coming from Mount Blair. He'd already taken out three Blood Eagle guards on his way with his silenced pistols and would be at the wall within minutes. The boss and Malgus had left early in the morning and were already on the other side of the camp, waiting for their signal. When he and Sullivan got the Blood Eagle's attention, the other two would go straight for Beckett. From the information they got from the prisoner, they knew their target was in a makeshift cell on the interior of the big excavator. Sullivan reached his checkpoint. Bitter checked his watch and then sighted his rifle on the closest Blood Eagle sentry. He then mentally moved from sentry to turret to sentry over again until he lined up each target at least twice. Taking a deep breath, then letting it out slowly, he squeezed the trigger, sending the 45 caliber bullet downrange. The suppressor kept the sound to a minimum and over the sound of the ash heap, the shot was completely inaudible. The Blood Eagle sentry was just getting ready to turn back from his walk when Bitter's shot pierced his temple, putting him down like a rag doll. Over the next ten seconds, Bitter destroyed two turrets, cut down three more sentries before he picked up the second rifle, scanning the perimeter, picking off the last two sentries, and then two more Blood Eagles who might have raised the alarm. Sullivan heard the raider above him hit the floor. That was his cue. He took two steps back and rushed forward, breaking through the plywood board sealing up what had been a doorway. Once inside, a quick scan of the area revealed numerous blood eagles starting to realize that something wasn't quite right. Raising his silenced automatic 10mm pistol, he fired quick bursts into each raider he could see, while moving under the cover of the scaffolding surrounding the camp. He reloaded and continued to work his way towards the excavator. He missed one blood eagle that tried to get up behind him, raising a battered twin-barrel shotgun. Sullivan heard the shotgun discharge, but looking behind him, he saw that the raider had fallen to the ground. Bitter put a bullet through his eye from his vantage point. Good shot. There wasn't time to stop, so Sullivan dove behind a metal barricade as several Blood Eagles emerged from the prefab to his right. They splattered the area with automatic rifle fire and took cover. The cacophony of gunfire got louder as more Eagles poured out of the giant excavator. 
Bitter was able to kill three of them and wound two others, but the odds were quickly turning against them. The odds shifted back when the barricade underneath the machine exploded inward. The metal propelled dozens of feet, cutting down an unfortunate raider caught in its path. Malgus waded into the compound, wielding his Gatling plasma, mowing down Blood Eagle after Blood Eagle, blowing some of them into green piles of liquefied goo. Behind him, sporting a long coat and wide brim hat, Freyer charged in with her LMG, spraying 308 rounds into the mass of remaining Blood Eagles. The ripping sound echoed across the camp as her bullets tore limbs from bodies and took heads off their necks. Blood splattered high up in the side of the excavator. Caught between Solomon, Malgus, Freya, and the top cover provided by Bitter, the rest of the Blood Eagles didn't last five minutes. All that remained were a few guard dogs, who upon seeing Malgus in his power armor, immediately ran in the other direction. That was the signal for Bitter to join them for the mop-up. He slung one rifle while taking the other as he jogged down to the work camp. Walking through the new hole in the barricade, he found the boss walking from body to body, putting a bullet in the head of everyone who looked somewhat alive. Malgus was doing the same, though he wasn't going to waste a bullet. He merely crushed the skull under his power armor boot. Solomon had cleared the catwalk up to the side door of the excavator. Recocking his pistol, he slowly opened the door and peered inside. Looking around and seeing nothing, he gave the thumbs up and went in. The boss appeared to be having the time of her life. While Magus was busy tearing down the various political flags and putting them into a pile, followed by the bodies of the dead, Bitter was picking through the leftover Blood Eagle supplies, stuffing his pack with cigarette cartons. Hey, boss, he's here, but he's in pretty rough shape. Freya sighed and made her way up to where Sullivan was standing. Well, where is he? They've got him in a cell, locked up, can't find the key. <sighs> do I have to do everything? Freya pushed Sullivan out of the way and entered the excavator. The interior had been converted into a combination of bunkhouse, cam manufacturing facility, and jail. Their target, this Beckett character, was laying down in the cot in one of the cells. When Freya walked up, she could see that the Blood Eagles hadn't been gentle with their captive. He looked like he'd been used as a punching bag. Both of his eyes were swollen shut and his face and arms were covered in bruises. The cell was also locked up tight, but that never stopped her before. She rarely exhibited her true strength. But in this case, she was already growing impatient. Freya cracked her knuckles and grabbed the cell door handle. She started pulling harder and harder. The door started to creak, slowly at first. But as she applied more of her muscle to it, the lock started to buckle. Beckett began to regain consciousness, moaning softly on the cot. Yanking as hard as she could, the lock finally snapped and the door opened. Freya leaned over the cot. Wakey, wakey. Ow! What the hell? Up and at him, sleepyhead. The cavalry's here. Freya grabbed him by the arm and looked him bodily off the cot. He moaned again as she dragged him across the room back to the entrance. The Blood Eagles hadn't broken any of his bones. That was supposed to have come later. But they had taken to beating him every hour, on the hour, as a form of entertainment. Sullivan, Bitter, come get this guy and bring him back to the camp. Bitter finished stuffing the last cigarette carton into his pack, grabbed his rifle, and bounded up the stairs behind Sullivan. They both grabbed Beckett, each one throwing an arm over his shoulder and getting him down off the excavator. Malgus was putting the final touches on his bonfire, having stacked up the last of the bodies before setting the pyre ablaze. Soon, the whole area smelled like charred flesh. Sullivan and Bitter couldn't move Beckett fast enough to get out of range of the odor and smoke, but they certainly tried. Freya licked her lips as the smells just made her hungry, but she still had work to do. She skipped over to her pack and started pulling out homemade explosives. Compared to previous versions, she'd upgraded these considerably, and she was very much looking forward to the results. Freya started liberally placing the devices all over the compound, while Magus watched from a perch above the festivities. He turned his gaze to the east, feeling satisfaction from his work amongst the infidels and heathens. 
In the distance, he could just make out the other Blood Eagle camp in the area, called by them the Sludge Pit. Nothing more than a den of thieves and non-believers to be cleansed. He spied movement in the distance. The Blood Eagles at the Sludge Pit had seen the smoke rising from the pyre, and had sent out a war party to investigate. Harold, we have more coming. Freya was placing the last explosive when she heard Malgus's call. As much as she'd love to get her hands on more eagles today, this was all part of a much larger plan. That didn't mean she couldn't have just a little bit more fun. She ran over to the edge of the barricade and saw the approaching gang. She estimated it would take them about 10 minutes to reach them, which was perfect. She took out her radio detonator and made a few adjustments before sliding it underneath the nearby camper, just out of sight. Twirling one last time in front of the fire, she started singing a little nursery rhyme. Ring around the rosy, pockets full of posy, ashes, ashes, they all blow up. <laughs> Her maniacal laughter rose above the camp and caught in the wind. It was enough to chill one's soul. Magus joined her as they left the compound to get to the rest of the team. They had a lot of questions for Mr. Beckett, and one way or the other, they were going to get their answers. Behind them, the Blood Eagle captain led his men into the Rawlings work camp. He was pissed and spoiling for a fight. It was bad enough that he'd been stuck in the sludge pit, but if anything permanent happened to Beckett before they had the chance to get their pound of flesh, it would certainly send them all on the warpath. All they found was a pile of burning bodies. Shit. Fuck. Shit. Check on Beckett and find me something to kill. Underneath the trailer, Freya's timer counted down from ten seconds to zero. Just as the captain was about to learn Beckett was gone, he was blinded by the first detonation of the improvised explosives. The plasma glare burned out his eyeballs before the explosion of the fusion core vaporized him. This was followed in quick succession by another dozen blasts which leveled the entire compound and blew out the sides of the giant excavator. The whole region seemed to vibrate for a minute. The local mole miners looked up to the horizon to see the fireballs rise above the hills of ash and dirt. Jesus fucking Christ! Sullivan and Bitter were nearly bowled over by the shockwave. Well, if they had wanted to send a message, that one was going to be heard loud and clear. Beckett was still fading in and out of consciousness and missed the fireworks, but he'd learn about them later. Sullivan was already putting together his report back to the colonel in his head. No doubt Modus would have already monitored Freya's handiwork, but he'd fill in the gaps. This little war they just started was going to get a lot uglier, and his CEO was the perfect person to wage it. He only hoped that his own sanity would be intact when it was all said and done. Once upon a time, 27 years after the bombs fell, there were two people, a vault dweller and a California girl. They met and sparks flew. That's when things got interesting. Once Upon a Wasteland is their story. Follow Elizabeth Kirby and Odessa Valdez as they pursue their happily ever after in the post-apocalyptic Appalachian wasteland of Fallout 76. Available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and many other podcasting platforms. Once Upon a Wasteland, a Fallout 76 love story. Available now. Ah, uh, 
Pickett slowly opened his eyes and found himself lying on a cot inside some kind of ramshackle hut. Everything was still a little blurry, but at least he could see, which after what the Blood Eagles had done was a blessing. He was still sore all over and didn't even want to attempt to get up. At least his current surroundings didn't appear to be a prison. He vaguely remembered getting the hell out of the Blood Eagle camp, but little else beyond that. Beckett could hear voices coming from outside, but couldn't make out anything that was said. Laying back down on the cot, he looked up at the ceiling, wondering if he'd gone from the frying pan to the fire, or vice versa. Beckett lay there for a few more minutes before he heard footsteps approaching from outside. The door creaked open and a man entered, dressed in a worn leather jacket and carrying a brown bottle and a ration pack. You're awake. Good. How are you feeling? Kind of like somebody ringing a huge bell inside my skull. And you? Yeah, I bet. Name's Sullivan, by the way. You're Beckett, right? The one and only, I guess. To what do I owe the pleasure of a rescue? We've been wrangling blood eagles and heard you might know some things that could help us. That true? I could sniff the bottle, definitely hard liquor, and took a swig. Whew. Definitely have some scores to settle. And if you're looking to have a party, I am more than happy to be on the guest list. That's really good to hear. The boss is going to want to chat with you once you're up and about. Fair warning, she's a bit weird. Uh, weird? <laughs> I don't think words can do it justice. Just keep an open mind. You guys have the same goal. Sullivan got up and left, leaving Beckett to finish drinking and eating the food provided. Beckett's seen some pretty strange things in his time, and, well, weird? He had no idea what that meant anymore. After finishing up, he pulled himself out of bed and half-walked, half-stumbled to the door. He opened it and found himself in a small common area with a fire and his rescuers. He immediately recognized Sullivan, who appeared to be playing cards with another guy, over half a barrel with a heap of caps between them. On the other side of the fire, sitting next to a pseudo T-51B power armor, was another fellow, eating from a large bowl, but watching him with dark eyes. <laughs> full house! Aw, oh, crap. Peter was collecting the pile of caps from the table as Sullivan threw up his hands. He looked over and saw Beckett. And look who's joined the land of the living. Sullivan got up and walked over. Let me introduce you to the team. You know me. Well, my name, anyway. Over there is Bitter. The name isn't ironic, by the way. Bitter gave Sullivan the finger, but then smiled and waved. And there's Malgus. He's a real talker, right? Malgus just glared at him. Not the most social guy. I'd recommend staying away from him. Sullivan waved at Malgus again, who looked away in disgust. Um, so, uh, who's the boss around here? That would be me, silly. Beckett turned around to see a young woman in a long coat and a wide-brimmed hat holding some kind of bone in her hand. She then started gnawing on it before joining the rest of them. She walked right over to Beckett and put out her hand. It was covered in gore, but Beckett took it anyway. Name's Freya. Kind of a big deal. <laughs> but seriously, I'm the one in charge, and we have some work to do. We're hunters of a sort. Bird hunters. At the moment. And right now, we're hunting eagles. Freya took another strip from the bone she was holding and started chewing on it like a string of spaghetti. Better laughed as he shuffled the cards again, while Sullivan watched his hands to see how he'd cheat this time around. Beckett was at a loss for words. These folks had rescued him. But damn if they didn't seem to be nearly as crazy as the Blood Eagles themselves. He started to feel a little dizzy, so he sat down in an old chair. I bet you're thinking that we didn't just rescue you out of the goodness of our hearts. <laughs> and you'd be right. 
See, we're going to take down the Blood Eagles. Their leadership, their camps, their supply lines. Burn it all to the ground. But we can't do that until we know who they are, where they are, and the best ways to get to them. Well, that's, that's a tall order, but I get it. That's where you come in. Word is, you used to be one of them, and based on how we found you, seems like you guys aren't friends anymore. We need someone who can point us in the right direction, and help us get the job done. When it's over, you get what you're owed, and we all go our separate ways. Freya took out a bag of caps and tossed it in the Beckett's lap. Beckett picked up the bag and shook it. There was a good amount in there by the feel of it. Of course, this conflict with the Blood Eagles wasn't about money. It was about family and making things right. Okay, I can help. Unfortunately, the notes in my stuff aren't here. And they weren't at the camp either. They grabbed me outside this place called the Sledge Works. Pretty safe bet my pack is still there. Freya looked over at Malgus, who nodded. Oh yeah, that shithole down the road. We know it. It was already on the list, but now it's going to be way more fun playing hide and seek. Just tell the boys what this pack looks like. We'll go get it for you. And then we can really start having some fun. Malgus slid into his power armor, grabbed a rather nasty-looking board and gatling plasma, and followed her out of the makeshift bunker. He didn't even attempt to hide his disgust on his face as he looked at Beckett as he walked past. What the hell have I gotten myself into? Bitter and Sullivan finished their last hand, with both putting down five aces each, which led to uproarious laughter between the both of them, and a quick divvying up of the pot. Sullivan grabbed his shotgun while Bitter slung his lever action. After picking up their packs... They both headed out the door. Hey, what about me? Sullivan reached into his pack and pulled out a pair of binoculars. Buddy, you're in no condition to be out and about. Feel free to spectate if you want. I don't think this will take long. He watched the four of them march down the hill towards the sludge pit. Within a few minutes, they disappeared out of sight. Beckett raised the binoculars to the horizon, where he could just make out the camp through the ever-present haze and the ash heap. With a bit of effort, he dragged a chair outside and found a stash of liquor off in a corner. Not having anything else to do, he sat back down, opened a bottle of whiskey, and waited to see if he ended up in the frying pan, or the fire. And waited. And waited. The bottle was mostly empty when the sounds of gunfire finally erupted, though at this distance it sounded more like popping balloons. Beckett looked through the binoculars and could make out the faint flashes coming from the Blood Eagle camp, but it was too far away to make out any details. The fighting seemed to go on for a few minutes before the horizon blossomed with multiple large explosions. Firing tailed off until it all grew quiet again. Beckett tried to look through the binoculars, but the camp was now obscured by thick black smoke. He guessed he'd find out soon enough if he was on his own again. Just when he was about to go back inside, he heard the scrambling of people coming up the hill. Looking around, Beckett grabbed the only weapon he could find, a broken board left over from the shack door. Holding it at the ready, he finally breathed a sigh of relief when he saw Bitter coming up the hill, with Sullivan under his arm, grimacing. Don't just stand there, you idiot! Help me! Despite being sore all over, Beckett made his way down the hill and grabbed Sullivan by the arm, assisting Bitter in getting him back up to the shack. What happened? Bitter laid Sullivan down and reached for his medkit. Damn eagles! One played dead and then shot Sullivan when his back was turned. Armor took most of the damage, but... <sighs> I think at least one slipped underneath. Oh, man, he's lost a lot of blood. 
Goddamn motherfucker, just get this chest piece off me. I can't breathe. Ed earned Beckett undid the straps and gingerly removed the armor. At least two rounds got through, as evidenced by the welling of blood from wounds in Sullivan's side. Better pressed a field dressing down while looking for a stim pack. Fuck it, give me some whiskey. Beckett grabbed another bottle from next to his chair and handed it to the wounded man. Sullivan downed the entire contents in one swig, before tossing it as hard as he could down the hill in frustration. Bitter found one of their stim packs and jabbed it into Sullivan's side, eliciting a short screech of pain. The medicine immediately went to work, clotting the wound, and Bitter was able to apply a proper dressing this time. Help me get him inside, Beckett. The two of them grabbed Sullivan again and moved him to the bed that had just been occupied by Beckett. The color was already returning to his face and the stim pack was doing his job. Unfortunately, he wouldn't just get better overnight. Hey, uh, where are the other two? Now the boss sent me back with Sullivan. Said she had some cleanup to do. Last I saw, she and the big guy were talking to one of the wounded blood eagles. And yeah, we found your pack. Here you go. Bitter opened his own backpack and pulled out a worn, hastily stitched together pack and handed it over to Beckett. He had a few new holes in it and several fresh blood stains but otherwise the contents were still intact. Ah, the holy grail. Emptying the pack on the floor, Beckett sorted his personal effects. The most important at the moment was his old notebook with all the Blood Eagle information in it. He still wasn't entirely sure he could trust these folks, but he also didn't have a whole lot of options either. They had already proven they could handle themselves, but how would they handle the whole gang coming down on top of them? Bitter slumped down in the corner of the shack, worn out and coming down from the adrenaline high he'd been on. Part... Well, actually, most of him was glad he didn't have to hang around and watch that woman interrogate the prisoners. He'd seen how that went in times past, and the less he saw, the better. About an hour later, Freya and Malgus returned. Both of them were covered in caked blood, but neither seemed to mind at all. In fact, Freya came in whistling a tune before grabbing a bucket of water and throwing it over her head to get clean. Oh, so much fun and so little time. <laughs> Malgus went to another bucket and used the water to wash off his hands and face. His bloody board was covered in gore, a result of his particular methods in getting information out of the Blood Eagles. After the first two or three, the rest fell all over themselves, telling them everything they wanted to know. Not that it made any difference to the final outcome, of course. Drenched from head to toe, Freya skipped over to Beckett. Got what you need? We have plenty of camps to burn and eagles to kill. Beckett was more than a little taken aback by the carefree attitude she had. He'd seen the worst in the Blood Eagles, but it was hardly a game to them. But sometimes you make deals with the devil, and you deal with the consequences. Yeah, everything I could remember I wrote down here. I got leadership notes, locations, even some leads on where they get some of their arms from. Freyer clapped her hands and danced a little jig, as happy as a schoolgirl. You're the best! Well, until you're better, we'll take it from here. It was certainly a surreal experience for Beckett watching the four of them operate together. They weren't raiders, and not associated with Foundation either. Both Sullivan and Bitter followed orders, and that was about extent of it for them, but for Freya and Malgus, it was something else entirely. Malgus, when he did speak, sounded like a fanatic, and Beckett would make sure to put as much distance between himself and the man as possible. Freya, on the other hand, was a mystery. At one moment, she acted like a kid, but the next she'd be deadly serious. He'd wanted to discount her, but seeing her in action was enough to convince him that she was one of the most dangerous people he'd ever met. They stayed in the camp for the next few days while Sullivan recovered. Freya would quiz Beckett on different parts of his journal and notes. She started building out her own map of the Blood Eagle camps across the region, 
and even talking about a plan to start hitting them as soon as Sullivan was ready to travel. She'd also been clear that they'd take Beckett to a local safe house so that he could lay low while they would start the campaign. Beckett gave Frey a list of contacts to track down. His old friend Sage would be a decent start if he could stay off the chems for more than five minutes at a time. An old raider partner of his, Edwin, was another person with good information on the current Blood Eagle locations, if they could track him down. And finally, he recommended paying a visit to Vinnie Costas down at the Blue Ridge Caravan. Rumor had it, despite the problems they had with the Blood Eagle attacks in the past, that missing weapon shipments somehow managed to end up in the hands of the raiders. When Sullivan was finally back on his feet, they moved out together and headed towards Lewisburg. The old town was still mostly abandoned, with the occasional feral ghoul or scavenger found wandering through the area. As they made their way up the tracks towards the Lewisburg station, Beckett spotted a low steel structure. What the hell is that? Safe house, bunker, whatever the hell you want to call it. For you, it'll be home for a while. Heard you liked a tan bar. Found plenty of booze over at the sludge works and dragged it over here for you. Feel free to set up something to keep yourself occupied. Sure enough, as they got closer, there was a small little bar set up off to one side of the structure with several crates stacked next to it. Malgus looked at the alcohol in disgust, pushed Beckett out of the way, and marched his power armor into the bunker. Pitter and Sullivan each grabbed a bottle of bourbon and went inside. Inside the steel structure, Beckett found several bunks, workspaces, and a supply stash with food and equipment. It was very spartan, but passable, and better than a Blood Eagle cell. His erstwhile allies had already crashed, taking whatever space they could find, so Beckett did the same. A quick inventory of the alcohol showed he had plenty, and keeping a low profile by tending a roadside bar made sense, he guessed. Later that afternoon, Frey and her team packed up and left, heading east to follow up the lead they had on Sage. If that panned out, they were going to also make a stop to talk with Edwin as well, and there were a few Blood Eagle compounds out there that they'd hit too. It would be at least a week before they were planning to return, so Beckett got busy keeping himself occupied. I guess Beckett's bar is back in service. Good morning, Colonel. You're up early. The briefings don't start for another hour. I wanted to get an early start. Lilith's campaign has gotten the Blood Eagle's attention. It most certainly has. Reports are coming in from the field teams and Modus has intercepted a number of transmissions. Lilith has stirred up quite the hornet's nest. They'll be falling all over themselves looking for Lilith's team. That's the whole point. I know that look. We both know Lilith can take care of herself. She'll be fine. I hope you're right. Still, I asked Modus to keep tabs on them. Safe House in Lewisburg is active, and I have a team near Big Ben in case we catch any Blood Eagle activity in the area. Make sure they keep their distance. The whole point of Lil's little charade is plausible deniability. 
It would cost us too much to take the gang on directly ourselves, and calling more attention to the White Spring is the last thing we need right now. Please forgive an old man who worries about his kids. It's about making the hard choices. I seem to remember someone telling me that not so long ago. And I remember telling you a long time ago, just because it's right doesn't mean I have to like it. However, I can at least be allowed a contingency plan or two, just in case. Of course. Just don't do anything without checking with me first. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Oh, I keep meaning to ask you. You seem a bit happier. Did something happen? Happier? What do you mean? Well, it's just since you came back from the crater, you just seem a bit... brighter? I don't know how else to describe it. I don't know what you're talking about, Stein. Fine, fine. But a father knows when something is up. Valeria just glared at Stein until he finally shrugged his shoulders and left to get the briefings order. After the Major left the room, Valeria reached under her desk and pulled out the old lunch pail that Eugenia had given her at Crater. While the pepperoni rolls had been delicious, it had been what she found at the bottom of the pail which now had her undivided attention. There, wrapped in an old handkerchief, had been a small silver pendant. Whatever inscription had been etched on the back had worn away long ago, but it was more the thought behind the gift that counted. Valeria picked up the pendant and turned it over in her hand. She was still trying to come to terms with how she felt, before putting the chain around her neck and feeling the piece resting against her breastbone. She blushed. Then she buttoned her tunic, hiding it away, at least for the time being. Reaching over, Valeria clicked the intercom. Operations, please forward the current <clears throat> Blue Ridge Caravan schedule to my office. Hi, I'm Firewriter, and I'm the host of The Pixel People, a podcast dedicated to taking a close look at our favorite characters from our favorite video games. From major characters who define the course of a game's storyline, to smaller characters who you might have never noticed. Every week, we go beyond the quest line to examine a particular character's story arc and choices, and discover the real-world parallels and life lessons hidden just below the surface. I hope you'll join us. You can find the Pixel People on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else you listen to podcasts. Thank you again, members, for joining us here on The Modus Files. If you've enjoyed this content, please subscribe. And better yet, please leave a review to help others find our little enclave. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Modus Files, for more information about our podcast, Fallout 76 content, and random musings on the Enclave. I'd like to thank our cast, Pandora Beatrix as Colonel Valeria Faustina, Lucy Middleton as Major Lilith Alistair and Freya, XO one King as Major Andrew Stein, Mark Harsworth as Bitter, Tim Young as Sullivan, Hammered as Malgus, Patrick Conway as Beckett, Rob Cunningham as the Angry Raider Boss, and Brad Williams as the Voice of Modus. And a shout-out to the Apocalyptic Aristocracy Discord, home to a great group of fellow creators, and Jeremiah Johnson, our favorite character artist, who provided the wonderful character artwork you can find on our website. We'd also like to announce that the Modus Files has officially graduated from the Robots Radio Rocket Club to become a full-fledged member of the Robots Radio podcast community. 
Lastly, thank you to all of our subscribers and supporters. We couldn't do this without you, and here's to many more episodes to come. God bless the Enclave, and God bless America. Members, we look forward to your next visit to our little Enclave. <laughs>